Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Recording Podcast of Awaken Church. Awaken is a church of missional communities whose vision is to see individuals experience healing through the gospel, be raised to their fullest potential among community, and sent out to live a life on mission. You can find out more online at awakenvb.com. And if you live in Hampton Roads, we invite you to check out our worship gathering in the Haygood area of Virginia Beach, Saturday evenings at 5 p.m. Thank you for listening. Last week, we started a brand new series called Arrival. Uh, I'm really excited. Just to be fully honest with you, and this is going to be recorded, I'm going to wish I wouldn't have said this, but I don't like preaching Christmas series. Like, they're not fun. Here's why. I have to preach on these things. I don't get a choice to, like, like, we can't all of a sudden, like, go over and teach, like, I don't know, whatever I want to teach on. Like, I, I feel very controlled, very handcuffed very tied. And I say that with the sense of like, I like the Christmas story. I'm not a Scrooge. Um, I I don't dis, I'm not a Scrooge. I just think Christmas fits between Thanksgiving and the first of the year. But anyway, that's a different conversation. You guys are all fully aware of of kind of my household rules pertaining to that. But apart from that, I, uh, I just, I have a hard time with it, but in all seriousness, I, whether it's, uh, and it probably is fair to give God the credit for this, whether it's a spiritual thing that God's been doing in my heart or something just seems fresh for me, I just get really excited about this series because some of the things that we're talking about in the series, I know personally, I feel like it's very um, predictable to preach and teach on the main characters and main, main players in the Christmas story and to teach on some of the things that you would expect to hear this time of the year. And we do cover some of those things, but I don't know if I've ever had someone really unpack and attack the cultural Christmas in the way that we're talking about in the series. So if you weren't here last week, I would strongly encourage you to go listen to it. We talked in our first week, and I'll just give you a quick summary about how there's this worldview or belief system that's presented to all of us, whether we're aware of it or not, about what Christmas is supposed to look like in our culture. It's represented through uh, songs, commercial, movies, and unlike most of the things out there that the world pushes on us, um, to use the classic like 80s phrase, sex, drugs, and rock, rock and roll, right? It's not that. It's actually this like these lights and glowing, warm, fuzzy feelings of like family coming together and the gifts that you've always wanted and the kids will finally be perfect this year when you open the gifts and everybody's just going to get along great, right? Well, this is the year that your kid finally gets that, that Red Rider BB gun. This is the year that you guys get the Christmas bonus to buy the pool in the backyard. This is the year that, that dad finally stops working his job 24-7 and you've been away in the North Pole for 40 years and now you're here and he wants to hang out with you the whole time, right? All these movies, you guys got all three of those references, right? Elf, Christmas Vacation. All right, all right, just make sure you guys are following along. All right, cool. But regardless of what it is, we're all presented with this idea of like, reconciliation, families coming back together, the good things, well-intended things. But what happens is they're presented in such a way that honestly you begin to expect that this is the year it all comes together, that this is the year that it finally happens. And it's that thought of this is the year it all comes together that begins to kind of trickle into the way that we view the Christmas season. It's a wonderful time of year, right? And within that, we end up finding ourselves come January, and most of us, if we're honest, there's some level of drop-off, disappointment, of like, really? That's it? 
we're kind of back to where I was a few weeks ago, and it doesn't really have the same feeling to it. And so we chose this series to do a couple things, really kind of unpack it and understand why the characteristics and the attributes of God are so important to understand in this series, because the Bible is full of them that predates the Christmas story. They come after the Christmas story, and they are going to continue to happen apart from what we teach on in these three weeks of the series. So last week, we talked about God being a deliverer. This isn't the first time that the story of Christmas shows up that Jesus is that deliverer to us in, in the eternal sense of helping to save humanity, that God has been a deliverer throughout history. And so understanding that connection so that come January, when those moments are that we feel like God doesn't hear us, he doesn't know what's going on, and God's not really paying attention, that we're reminded, no, God does hear us. God does know what's going on, and God does deliver us. It's those truths that help surpass those moments where anxiety take, kicks in, where these insecurities begin to bubble up, where these moments where you just want to kind of you know, fall away and, and, and withdraw yourself from all the crazy that just happened. It's these truths that help you overcome those things. So tonight we're going to kind of get into this idea of, of God being uh, the glory of God. It's his glory that we talk about in this season. And glory is one of those things that's this very a churched word that really doesn't happen. You don't really use the word glory outside of, uh, outside of a church context. There are some examples out there, but for the most part, it's a word that's used internal. And I think it's one of those things that when we read through the Christmas story, that word kind of finds its way throughout the numerous pages, no matter which version of it you read. This idea of God's glory kind of showing up in the form of this, this Messiah. And again, the hope in this, just like last week, is that we kind of give you some practical things to help you carry through this series and even obviously into 2020, that you can remember these things as we all have those moments where things can be hard. So if you will, we're going to go ahead and jump in. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2 tonight. And so uh, I want to, we're going to read through uh, about 18 or so verses. It'll be up here on the screen for you as well. Luke chapter 2 starting in verse 8, and we're just going to read through the story pertaining to the shepherds, okay? So um, you probably have heard this story before, right? I'm assuming most of us have, whether you've been churched or unchurched your whole life, there's some variation of this because there are these things called nativity scenes that are all over the place, um, and wherever I go, I try and remove the wise men from those nativity sets, right? Because it's not biblical, they're not there yet, but anyway, I'll bring them back in a few years and we'll call it even, right? So Anyway, let's read through the story of the shepherds because this, they actually did show up to this part of the story. So Luke chapter 2, it says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory, if you have a Bible app and you want to highlight it, there's that word glory, surrounding them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. You will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to the heaven, 
or to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what, the, uh, what, had happened, and when the, and what the angel had said to them about the child. All who had heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. All right, so there are so many things in this text that I really want to get to tonight. So I'm going to rapid fire a few things. I'm going to go fast, just like give me like a baseball sign, like slow down, bro. You're going too fast. But the first thing is, in case you're not aware of, and this may surprise a lot of you because, again, so much of the Christmas story and the shepherds and the wise men makes everyone like to seem like it's this really awesome, really sweet, kind, awesome, gentle story, right? It's a messy story. Like, it's not a fun, warm, fuzzy Christmas story. There's this couple that can't find somewhere to stay, so they, they hang out in a barn, right? They have a baby, right? Heather just had a baby, right? She had, what if she had a baby in a barn with animals and hay, right? That would be super weird. Uh, it was also weird in that day and age, too. Like, that's not like a cultural thing. Like, oh, yeah, they were used to having babies in barns back in the day. Like, that didn't happen. Okay, so the baby happens in a barn, right? Babies are messy, right? I'm not going to get all the details, right? But uh, in our MC this past week, we talked about how messy the birth process is, all right? Again, it's, this is a G-rated, PG, sometimes PG-13 conversation. But either way, it can be messy, right? It's gross. No offense to moms out there. Love you. But like the whole thing is just, it's, it's got, anyway, I should stop talking about it. Anyway, it's just not barn conducive, right? Not designed for this idea of having a baby. So there's that part alone that like, it seems real nice, right? This cuddly baby hanging out with mom and dad. Animals are there, right? They probably talk to each other, right? In some animated story, right? That's not what's happening, right? It's cold. It's a, not, not a good location for a birth, Okay, now let's get into this part of the story, right? Because that's not even the text we read about. Let's talk about the shepherds, okay? In case you're not aware of, which maybe some of you aren't aware of, shepherds in first century Middle East are considered some of the lowliest people in their society. They're not like these cool kids that like just hang out with sheep all day, kind of hippies, right? That's not what's going on here. They, these guys are considered thieves, they're considered lowlifes. They're considered the least of these. And so the, the idea of a shepherd throughout Scripture is spoken about positively, right? Think about the well-known uh, Psalm 23 passage, right? It begins with this idea of, of God being our shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd, right? And so although there's a lot of positivity around shepherds throughout the history of the Bible, in this day and age right now as we're reading this, shepherds are considered Again, some of the lowliest people out there. And if you look at even historians' accounts during that day and age, there was a philosopher in, uh, from Alexandria, Greece, who said the time, this is a direct quote, he said, there is no more, uh, dis uh, yeah, there, there is no more, I can never pronounce this word, you guys are gonna mess me up, hear me out, uh, reputable, disreputable, that's the right phrase, am I saying that correctly? There is no more disreputable an occupation than a shepherd. So this, and again, this is from uh, an intellectual-minded person, a philosopher in Greece, 
but he represents the majority of the culture of that day and age who was saying that these people were considered lowlifes. Again, people that had a hard time. Shepherds could not hold public office. Their testimony was not admissible as evidence in a court trial. And most Jews in that day and age would not buy milk, baby sheep, which is also referred to as a kid. Do you guys know that? Right? I almost was going to say, like, they don't, you couldn't buy milk, you couldn't buy kids. And I was like, that sounds weird to say. So we're just going to call them baby sheep, even though I guess you should say kids. Or wool, because most, most Jews assumed that these sheep were stolen at some point. So in this story, there are these shepherds, whether or not they're good people or not, right, is, is actually mostly irrelevant to this story. The reality is, that this angel shows up, right, and appears, which matches the story so far, to the people that you would never expect to be the people that an angel would show up and say, hey, I got good news for you. The Messiah is here. Go check it out. Instead, the angel shows up to these shepherds, people that are considered, obviously by society, to be worth very little. Thieves, Low lives, things like that. They can't be trusted. Shepherds weren't allowed in the temple because of their handling of animals, their supposed lifestyle, and just being frankly referred to as, as dirty people. Yet, despite being rejected by so many in society, they are the recipients of the first people to hear about the birth of Jesus Christ. Interesting, right? Because in your nativity scenes that you see, there's just these nice shepherds with their sheep hanging out in it, but the backstory is not really present. But these people are the recipients of the greatest news ever told. They're the first ones to hear about it. And so if we go back into our text, right, think about from the viewpoint, the vantage point of a shepherd, it's nighttime, so most of the shepherds are sleeping. Through archaeologists, we can see that kind of how this plays out in most Middle Eastern first century uh, scenes that basically they would build these stone walls around to keep the sheep inside. And then you would put one or two shepherds on both ends of kind of the, the pen, if you will. And their job was to kind of re-rotate that position up. But right, their job was to keep predators out at nighttime. So everyone's sleeping. You probably got, you know, Joe's over there snoring. Right, you got Sam who's kind of like twitching himself while he's sleeping, right? These kind of like gross men just kind of hanging out, sleeping all night. And two guys that are super attuned to like any noise that would happen because inside that pen is everything for them, right? It's their source of food, their income, their way of life is what's inside of that pen. And then all of a sudden, there's this bright light with loud noises that wakes up everybody, right? It's not like, hey, I'm an angel, let me tell you something, right? That's not what happens. They're like, all of a sudden, like, ta-da, we're here. And we want to tell you something, right? Great news. So no wonder in the text, they're terrified, right? They're legitimately scared. And the angel's like, hey, man, don't be scared. But one of the things that we're going to talk about pertaining to, to God's glory in this story is that there's a word often equated with glory pertaining to how people translate the, the word for glory in Scripture, and it's the word weight. And so you could almost say it this way, that the weight of God showed up. So when you read through the text, 
and you see this word glory in the beginning of the text that we read about. We saw it, especially in the first part I wanted to read to you there in verse 9, that, uh, let's read it again, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, right? So there's this weight all of a sudden. And it's the kind of weight that's used to describe kind of something being heavier than anything else. It's hard to carry. And it carries with this, this, this imagery that really when the glory of God shows up, it pushes everything else out. It reshapes the room. It reorders the way that things are. It breaks free the things in bondage. That this weight, this glory of the Lord, when it shows up, it does something. It's not there to just simply exist. It's there with a purpose. And I think in this story, or sometimes as we think about the, the idea of God and his glory, it's this thing that we view as a spectator. But God's glory is not designed to be something looked upon. It's something experienced. And when we experience God's glory, it disrupts whatever's going on in the spiritual realm and often in the physical realm. And it's very easy for us kind of taking what's happening in the story. Let me just give you a modern part of this here for us today. It's very easy for us in this story to read it and think about it as if we're just reading the next like Harry Potter novel right? That wouldn't happen today. That's, that's too weird or different, right? That God's not showing up in skies with angels, right? That's not how God speaks to us. And although God does speak to us in a variety of ways, the reality is so many of us aren't even looking or aware of where God is speaking that we miss the glory of God in so many moments. And so there are four things that I kind of read about in this story, because when you, again, you think about it, when the glory of God shows up, he doesn't show up to the well-behaved ones, he doesn't show up to the ones who tithe regularly or have great church attendance, right? He shows up to the shepherds, right? People who, again, right or wrong, were considered thieves and lowlifes. So that's the scene that night. There's this bright, loud noise, right? Scares them, terrifies them. So there, again, there are four things that I want us to look at, both from this text and I think that will help us as well, thinking about his glory, God's glory in this. So the first one is that when the glory of God shows up, it exposes us for who we are. When the glory of God shows up, it exposes us for who we are. Now, at first, and I'm really honestly so glad I did not prompt her at all, but when Lisa shared about accountability, right, there is this vulnerability and this rawness that comes from sharing something with someone and asking them to hold you accountable. We feel exposed, right, when that, and that happens. And then we kind of trust that person to not only take that information that we shared with them and hold it, you know, close to, close to their heart, but we also expect them to love and care for us through that as we grow, right? So how many of you guys have ever told someone, a friend, a colleague, a spouse, right, told something that you were really trusting with them that you had done something wrong or, or bad, right? Anybody? Everybody, right? right? If you expose yourself, you feel vulnerable in that moment, right? Nods of head. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You guys are half asleep on me. But that you feel exposed in this moment, and it's not a good feeling, right? Like, no one likes that feeling. I don't like that feeling. But what I love about this part of when God's glory shows up is that right after we read about it in verse 9, what is the very first thing the angel says? Don't be afraid. God's design 
for his glory when it shows up and it exposes us in that moment, right? Literally in the physical sense, it just brightens the whole place up. I'm sure they were terrified in the sense of like, they're legitimately scared, heart racing. What the heck is going on right now? The angel in that moment when they're exposed and also they're aware that, why, why are you telling us, right? We're shepherds. Why aren't you telling like the Pharisees? Why aren't you telling the religious leaders? In that moment when they're exposed for who they are and what's happening, God's desire reminds us in this story that he's never here to scare us into something, but rather welcome us into something. There's a, a man uh, who wrote a book, uh, well, numerous books, right? But he's a guy named Shane Claiborne up in Philly. And he talks about it in one of his first books. He talks about it this way. He says that the gospel should never be something shared or displayed as a way of scaring someone into eternal life, right? It's, in fact, he says it this way. He says, actually, I'm more interested in loving the hell out of someone than scaring them to hell, in the literal sense, right? Play on words a little bit, right? But this idea, I'm more interested in loving them from the place that they're in, this literal hell of where they are in their relationship with God, the separation, but also sometimes in a personal sense, I'm more interested in loving them out of that place. And that's when we see the heart of God is so more aligned with this idea of loving someone out of the place they're in than just simply scaring them into something, right? That's not how God operates. And so in the story, when they're scared, there's this gentle first reminder, hey, don't be afraid, right? I'm here actually to bring you good news. So that God is, is not here to scare us into something, but instead he's actually trying to overwhelm us and remind us who he is. That's part of what happens in this first part of the text is that when God's glory is revealed, we're reminded not only who we are, but most importantly, who he is, right? There's a clear reminder in this story, if you're the shepherd, that I'm the shepherd and I'm not God, right? That this is something happening around me that I have no control over. There's a greater being at play. I'm the shepherd in this story, right? That's a first reminder here. Number two, when the glory of God shows up, it drives out fear and replaces it with joy. I love this one because for so many of us, when we think about what God does to eradicate things out of our lives, oftentimes if we're not careful, those eradications end up just being voids in our lives. But that's not what God's best is for us. When we talk about spiritual disciplines, we talk about spiritual practices and understanding God's design for transformation in our life. The goal is to never to simply eliminate something from our life. The goal is to replace it with something. Because if you just simply take something out of your life that's not healthy, that's bad, and don't just leave it alone, eventually it will either feel empty or you'll replace it with something else that's not supposed to be there. So in this situation, not only does the angel come and says, hey, don't be afraid. Instead of being afraid, I'm actually going to give you some really good news, right? The best kind of news. And John, you probably all, probably most of us have heard of John 3.16, right? Pretty well-known passage. In John 3.17, it says that God has come not to condemn the world, but to save the world. It's this beautiful reminder that God's not here to cast judgment on us. Is there judgment? Absolutely. God's design is to help save humanity, physically and spiritually. And so woven into this story and woven into the real Christmas story and the one that outlasts the December cultural Christmas story is this idea that God's glory, when it shows up, 
we understand who God is, like the shepherds did in that moment, we also understand that God comes to replace those moments of fear in our lives, of those insecurities in our lives, and instead he's got a good news story for us, something that's better than what we already felt in that moment. The third one is that when the glory of God shows up, it creates trust in his word. Look back at verse 15. It talks about this idea that he says to them, right? We went because we knew what the Lord had told us. The Lord said it, so let's go see it. Right? Whether you read your Bible through an iPad, whether it's a hard copy, whether it's through a Bible app on your phone, I don't care how you read scripture, but it is woven in throughout scripture, these promises and truths that are there for you and I. It's one of the primary ways that God speaks to his children and to his people. And it's when those truths come up that we can say, hey, God said it, now let's go see it. You see, when I walk into my family's Christmas, I have hope and expectations of what it will look like, right? But at the end of the day, I speak about this series because it's personal for me. I leave most Christmases feeling disappointed. Like it wasn't, I kind of had hopes of it being different, better. Nothing against my family, right? They're good people. Mom listens to the podcast. She'll probably ask me about it later, right? But the reality is for me, I leave dis disappointed sometimes. It didn't meet this expectation I had. But yet what God says is, hey, I'm there with you. And you keep looking for it everywhere else except for me. So scripture tells me, God says, hey, I'm here. I'm present and I'm everything you need, Philip. Put your stock in that this Christmas so that when you show up, you can carry that presence of God with you, not expect it from other people. There's truth in Scripture that when I'm not in Scripture, when I'm not finding myself in God's Word, I can't trust God's Word. God's glory, when it shows up, it creates this trust that I know I can take it to the bank, that when God says it, He does it. And the shepherds are aware of that in this story, that this angel says on behalf of God, right, there's good news, go and see. And they went and saw, right? And then here we go, number four, which kind of where we finished up our story. It says, when the glory of God shows up, it changes our perspective on our daily life. They came back from this story, right? They saw Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus lying in the manger. And it says they, they went back praising God and telling people what they saw. When we experience God's glory, minute, small, medium, big size, however we experience God's glory in our lives, it should absolutely change us. The people that no one would have expected to be used by God were the shepherds. They took a risk, right? You read about it at the very end of the passage, right? Go back and look at it in chapter two. Let's... Um, Verse 20. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. Right, the first part of that, they went back to their flocks. They left everything that they had known. They left their sheep, their source of income, 
everything. If a, if a wolf came, if someone came to steal their sheep, they were done for, right? They left it all to see what God was doing. And when they came back, not only had God preserved that for them, but they went glorifying and praising God for what, he had, what they had seen. And I think there's a part of this that I want to speak to for us tonight because it's super easy in the Christmas story to miss this. It's when we meet and see God's glory in our lives that it's our job, our duty to then tell people about it. But so often, we just kind of go on to the next thing. Right, if I were to sit down with you one-on-one right now and ask each one of you, when's the last time you saw God do something in your life? When's the last time that you saw God at work? Was it a conversation you had? Was it a relationship that got healed and fixed? Was it the way that your kid modeled something that you didn't teach them, that, that God just showed up, right, and taught them something? Like, what is it that you last saw God in? Because if I were to ask you that question, my guess is most of us would say, I don't know. And we would try and like recap the big moments that have happened in our life to see where God's at. And make no mistake, the angels showing up out of nowhere in the story is a big moment, right? It's easy to get lost in this billboard of a moment. But what's not lost is in the shepherds' lives at the end of the story, they leave and they tell people about what God had done and they praise God for it. One of the things that I'm guilty of is that when I experience God's glory and when it shows up in my life, I'm guilty of not telling people about it. God loves it when we tell a good story. We serve a God who is a story-telling God. He's done it, and he wants his church to do it. And part of what makes the Christmas story so special is that we get a chance to parallel our story and the arrival of where we've seen God at work in our lives, the Advent in our lives, with the Advent story. And one better, that there's another Advent coming. There will be another arrival. That time not in the form of a baby, but as King Jesus when he shows up again. And in that moment, God restores everything back to him. Right now, you and I, we live in between the advents. But it's in between these advents that we're reminded that God is our deliverer and that we exist for his glory. And how we choose to live in between these advents, the coming of Jesus and then the arrival of Jesus. How we choose to live and tell these stories is on us, the church. It's why we believe so heavily at Awakened Church in this idea of you and I being on mission. That God's not interested in just saving you. He's interested in transforming you and it contagiously finding its way into moments wherever you go. I wanna leave you with this verse tonight, 2 Corinthians 3.18. Paul writes, so all of us who have heard 
sorry, for all of us who've had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the God. And the God who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. If you're around about 20 years ago, there was a song that Charlie Hall wrote called Marvelous Light. It's a pretty well-known song at that time. That song came out of this idea, this marvelous light. That's the glory of God, this idea that when all of us have had that veil removed, we can see and then reflect the glory of God. One of the things that the devil uses more than anything else right now in the church, in my opinion, is to create this belief and doubt in our hearts that your role is not important. That your story is not as good as other people's stories, so just keep it to yourself. That that God moment that happened in your life, that's cool for you, but they don't care, right? When we do highs and lows in our missional community, there are people when that we go around the room in our circle that are like, ah, that was no big deal, right? That's, that is a big deal because God showed up. When God shows up in our lives, it's worth telling because it's in those moments that God reflects who he is into our life and that we get to experience it in community. Because you never know how that moment, that God moment in your life of where God met you and intersected with you in that moment, you never know how that story is gonna help someone else. God uses the messiness of the shepherds in this story. I guarantee you he wants to use your life, my life. And shame on me for thinking that God has something better to do than to have me retell a story of something cool that happened. Shame on us for minimizing what God is doing, right? You and I don't get to decide the magnitude or the value of what God is doing. We get to decide if we're going to be obedient and reflect that glory back out to the world. That's for us to decide. And I love that last part of the verse, right? And it makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Paul writes in Corinthians chapter 11, I think it is in verse one, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. There's this beautiful idea in spiritual transformation that we are all trying to become more like Jesus. Not perfect in the sense of without sin, but perfect in the sense of wholeness, completion, and we cannot do that apart from his spirit. But please hear me, church, loud and clear tonight. You have a story, it's his glory, and it's our job to reflect that glory back out to the world. Be empowered, be encouraged, be uplifted, and be reminded tonight that God is at work in the little things and in those nights when you're sleeping and not expecting it, and all of a sudden your world gets turned upside down. Because an angel shows up and says, this is good news, and it's here. Be a storyteller of that good news in your life. Let's pray. God, I don't know how you plan to use me and the rest of my life. I know there are numerous days, most days where at times I feel like it's messy. 
and something that I can't imagine how you'd want to use my story. And yet, I get to send a simple text or a phone call to someone going through something and you use it and it surprises me. God, I pray for all of us in the room tonight that you would cause us to become more obedient in reflecting that glory back out. That we would be reminded that when your glory shows up, you do stuff. You transform things. You change our perspectives. You replace fear with joy. You remind us who you are. So God, I just ask, because I know you're already doing it, but God, I just ask on behalf of everyone here that you would find a way to remind us this week of your glory. Would your glory show up in a conversation, in an action, in a miracle, in a relationship? That God, we would see your glory revealed in a moment. And then just like the shepherds, as we see it, we would then praise you for it and tell others about it. Help us to be a storytelling people as more and more we become like you. God, forgive us for not telling of your glory, for not opening our eyes to see your glory and being thankful that whether it's big or small, that you are alive and at work in our lives and that you use the most unbecoming, unusual ways sometimes to reveal who you are to us as your people. God, thanks for getting our attention, even when we stubbornly aren't looking for it. In Jesus' name, amen.